when activists do show up in fiction, activists are often misrepresented, stereotyped, kind of disrespected in ways similar to, to the stereotyping and, and poor representation of other oppressed groups. That's Juliana Barnett, an anti-colonial anthropologist who's been active in a wide range of movements, from the environmental to unions and youth to community and anti-imperialist in both the United States and in Mexico. Earlier this year, she started a blog on Substack called Activists Explorer, where she writes about how activists and social change movements are depicted in fiction, including in movies. My co-host, Elise Bryant, will be conducting a Q&A with 9to5 co-founder Karen Nussbaum after the upcoming screening of 9to5, The Story of a Movement. That's 7 p.m. on Monday, May 23rd, at the AFI Silver. You can get tickets at dclabor.org. Click on Calendar. I'm Chris Garlock with Elise Bryant. Here's our chat with Juliana Barnett as Labor Goes to the Movies. Good morning and welcome, Juliana. Thank you, Elise and Chris. <laughs> what is your favorite movie from your earliest remembrance? Like when you were a little kid, when the movie you saw and you went, oh my God, movies. I love them. Well, what comes immediately to mind, though not as a favorite, but certainly as the most impactful, was Snow White. And when the evil stepmother, which we know is a total stereotype, but they Disney used it to good effect on kids and including me. I when I, I think she she turns into this 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 bird like or some kind of uh, into a monster at some point. And I was so terrified that I hid under the seat at the movie theater. <laughs> so while that was not what you'd call a favorite, it certainly gave me a, a clue as to the impact of movies. I gotcha, I gotcha. So what's your fave? Fave, fave. Oh, I mean, we're going way, way back. I'd have to say Bambi. Aww. Aww. <laughs> it's interesting how often that one comes up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I get a picture in my mind of little Bambi and the butterflies and the birds and the woods and uh, and the sunlight coming through and, and so on. I just read a piece recently about how Bambi is actually based on a book, a German story, I think it was, uh, which has almost nothing to do with how Disney dealt with it. You won't be surprised, they're much, much darker. Oh, I'm sure that's true. No, no doubt about that. Sure. All right. So, Juliana, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, um, who you are, and and uh, your what you're you know what you've been up to, and then we want to talk about your activist explorer blog, and then of course we want to talk about some movies. Well, I have been an activist since I was a teenager many years ago, and you know, as a kid, pretty much in the in uh, connected with the civil rights movement and following it with older, you know, people around me and especially the anti-Vietnam war movement. 
And then after a very brief foray into college in this country, I went to Mexico for nearly two decades and was very involved in a lot of different activism there, especially student activism. And especially as, a, as myself as a university student, uh, working as a volunteer teacher, as all teachers were, in the uh, popular education movement, which in Mexico was this really tremendous popular movement that was inspired by the student movement of 1968, which you know was big all over the world. And even though I was there, uh, you know, ten years later, it this was really the lasting legacy of that movement students, high school age students and people who didn't get to go to high school but wanted to started this school because they were just pushed out, kept out of the, of the school system through bureaucracy, through poverty, through favoritism, through many, there just was, was no school for them and started this really interesting democratic school run by students and students did all the work of, of running the school, raised the money, and of course also took the classes and I was teacher there. And then I went on to do different uh, cultural organizing, started, helped start a group there at the school, and then afterwards uh, a cultural political group that still is in existence 40 years later. We did a lot of different things, uh, working with low-income people in a participatory way, a lot of different projects for people not usually with access to culture, um, you know, cultural activity um, to be able to do things like do music. There's a, a whole program for street musicians to be able to rehearse music and, and record and do things like uh, kind of take their music a step further than they're able to on the street where a lot of people including the my, one of the co-founders of the of this group that was his profession really a street musician what took you to mexico for two days oh well my family uh went to live there my parents had sabbaticals well, not exactly sabbaticals they had leave from the with their work. Uh, my mother worked in the children's hospital there on a project. Uh, she's a neurologist and they were doing a project on malnutrition and the effect of malnutrition on the development of the brain in newborns. Of course, everybody knows that malnutrition is bad for babies' brains, right? But, you know, having a uh, having scientific proof and so on and being able to have numbers, you know, was something that was desirable. She helped, she worked on a project there. My dad was teaching at the university and uh, working on a book. We were there for about eight months with my younger siblings. Um, we all went back and I started at the University of Wisconsin, but I didn't really quite know what I wanted to do. And it just, never got to be as interesting as Mexico. So <laughs> at my first winter break, I had saved money working. And I, so instead of going home, I went to Mexico ostensibly for the winter break, but I did not return. Nice. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I mean, my, my parents did not like it that much, but I promised them I would get an education there. And I did. 
Now, you started this Activist Explorer blog back in March, and mm-hmm. um, your second post was on Radium Girls, which we showed in our online DC Labor Film Fest. It was either, it was either 20 or 21, I can't remember. And I was curious about why, why you chose a film for your second post. What, what was it that made that so important? Well, this, this blog, this newsletter um, has two basic threads or angles. One is activist culture in reality, the, the, the activists looking at and writing about and thinking about and discussing the activist experience kind of across um, different issues looking it's kind of a different slant on it's it's like what it means to be an activist and what's the nature of activism whether you're on doing any you know of all of the different ways of being an activist that we know the other is on representation of activists in fiction Mm -hmm. and because i really love to read fiction and I noticed over the years that activists are either generally completely absent from stories, from you know the general, even when, even when their things happen to them, which we would say, oh well, obviously we need to organize to 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 address this thing that the characters are going through, but this very rarely actually happened. And so, so either race, but then when activists do show up in fiction, and by fiction I mean um, movies, but novels and plays and and also games, you know, like narrative games and children's, you know, the entire gamut of fiction. But um, activists are often misrepresented, stereotyped, kind of disrespected in ways similar to to the stereotyping and, and poor representation of other oppressed groups. So one of the things I've been doing is both critiquing this kind of stereotyping and and disrespecting of activists, but I especially am interested in encouraging, finding and encouraging and kind of lifting up the representations of activists that are, uh, you know, fair and that humanize activists that show what, what activists really do. Because of course, one of the things what stereotyping does, of course, is is um, have separate, dehumanize, otherize, you know, so that so that you see you see them even even when it's a positive stereotype like sanctifying, and it's still a separating thing that that people don't identify with, and 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 fiction is so good at creating that that link where the reader or the viewer connects with and identifies with and roots for and just feels with, empathizes with the characters. So I've been making a list. I have a long list. It's It should be much longer, but Radium Girls is certainly one of the ones that was on the list. It was when you say it's a list, it's a list of films or books. It's a list or of both? film. It's a list of films, books, novels, children's novels, um, uh, various forms of fiction. That ones that that center 
that feature activists and activism, the, the, the work of activists, because sometimes you get an activist character, but you don't get to really see what they do, what we do, what it's like. So that's I, the idea. I think, I think we may need, um, maybe it's obvious to everybody else, but I'm not sure what, how do you define an activist? Yes, I, I, I could see that. Um, I mean, that's a good question. And it's not, it's not a perfect term by any means. It is a term, one, that is much used. It's used and people kind of understand it kind of at a, at a, a superficial level, you know, but um, I see it as any person or group or movement, social movement, working for justice, peace, and planetary survival. Okay. At so least... it's broad. Yeah, very broad. So I, uh, I looked at your, um, your site and I saw the witches of Lowell. And mm -hmm. um, when I was living in Ann Arbor, there was a big activist Wiccan community Mm -hmm. And I wonder what drew you to this and, and what has been the response? Well, I actually know the author personally, um, but uh, let's see. It was, was that last week? It was Friday the 13th. And so I know that's a kind of a powerful witching day. So it just, it, it came to mind. And also it's about a union organizing movement. It's about a very, uh, you know, old, you know, kind of a, a pioneer organizing movement, which is the, the, the loom workers in Massachusetts who were spinning the cotton, the cotton actually, that was uh, uh, grown and harvested by the enslaved people on, in, down in South, and the, that cotton fed the, the textile industry of New England. And so these were the loom operators who were almost all young girls and young white girls. Um, and it just seemed, so it just seemed like a good combination for that day. One of your critiques, which I thought was, it's a critique that I've had, but I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was thinking specifically of films. I think you're, you're more focused on, on fiction, but you know, when a lot of times you'll see, I guess, what you could consider activists, certainly protagonists, right? And there's a problem, a social problem you know, and they just, they go up against it alone. And, you know, like me, you're sitting there saying, why don't you organize? Why don't you go talk to your fellow workers? And, and I wonder if that's because in fiction and film, the individual struggle is more dramatic. I don't know. I mean, I, I was trying to think of but the films that show collective struggle are always complicated, right, Elise? I mean, you know, I was thinking, you know I'm thinking of Ken Loach films because Ken Loach likes to show, you know, the discussion, you know, but it gets, in, you know, it gets complicated, right? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I was thinking about that in, in terms of um, what you were saying too, Julia, on your blog in terms of, uh, you know, the, the socialist, you know, uh, uh, theme in a uh, lack of in films. And, um, Steve Jones, as you know, because uh, you, you you sang in his, his music. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, we recently talked about that in terms of uh, both Forgotten the Love Song, is that people, 
a lot of theaters don't want to do those shows because they are about the collective whole. Even even the central character of Lewis Brad, Bradford in Forgotten, who was murdered in the Ford Rouge plant, who was trying to organize with, with workers, um, who was a, a, a socialist, um, is not the central character. I mean, he's not, he's not the one you see over and over, song after song after song. There's lots of group songs. There's also un, in the other individuals. And so the idea, and this is what you're talking about too, Chris, is like that the, our culture wants to put forth the individual as the person. That this would, and you know, Martin Luther King was not the person of the civil rights movement. It couldn't have happened the way it did if only one person. And so that leadership piece becomes the focus and they become the central character. Very true. Um, well, I encourage you to, to look at an, another post of mine um, called Where Are the Social Movements in Fiction? And I think, let's see. 11 guesses why social justice activism rarely appears in our novels and movies. That's, oh, from April 29th. And that's actually reprinted from an article that, that appeared in Portside. Uh, but, and there was only 10, so I added another guess. Uh, but these are hypotheses that I'll mention two. One has to do with the, just the individualist culture that we're talking about that 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 is very very strong here in the states and the world being what it is and imperialism being what it is that's a very dominant culture worldwide and the other uh, thing that you mentioned about the complexity which is certainly true I mean past of thousands huge I mean you know Spartacus uh, you know certainly a movie with a revolution it had, it had a it had a a uh, single character, but it was, you know, that was a liberation uh, movie and it was from, um, you know, ancient times, but uh, obviously that's a harder one to pull off than, than a few characters in a room or, you know, thinking about things and talking about things is so often happens in fiction these days. But the one thing that I learned in, in, in going into this is that this is not just like some kind of cultural evolution, like on its own. I mean, I mentioned McCarthyism and the Cold War. That was an active force in shaping our culture. We think about how people are persecuted and a lot of them were artists. And so the the people who are trying to maintain the status quo and their power in this world, they understand, often it seems better than we do, what the power of art is. I want, I want to unpack this a, a little bit more before we, we, we move on and wrap up. The first thing you list is that most fiction authors are not activists, but then you go ahead and, and say right away that most authors aren't detectives, spies, or space travelers. So it's not, you know, <laughs> the fact the fact that fiction writers are not activists, I think, is is not relevant because it's a matter of imagining, right? And I think to me it kind of goes back to 
my struggle to understand what an activist is you know i mean some people are clearly activists they're out there they're going to meetings they're involved in organizations okay they're an activist maybe they're you know maybe they're actually you know like i've been fortunate to be paid to be an activist my whole life right but then there are lots of people who do activism you know they have like day jobs you yeah, know and, like and me then, right so you've got a day job and then you do activism uh around the edges of of that right but then i think that there are lots of other people that probably could be considered you know activists so i think you know the fact that it's such a broad term in some ways i thought your second point which you know the great men and you know it is mostly men that the movies and art are interested in um although i think there's been some course correction on that recently which is good um but to go back to your point, uh, I think at least about you know Martin Luther King. From a lot of folks, Martin Luther King is the civil rights movement. That is, you know that that's the story. And so you can go down to the monument and you can see the misquoted quotes, and and there you've got the civil rights movement in a hot second. And don't get me started, right? Yes, ex exactly. No, that first point is supposed to be sardonic. I mean, in other words an author does not have to be the, the thing that they are writing about. That's what we have imagination and research for. So, uh, so in other words, that's, not, that's absolutely not an excuse because they're not space travelers. They're certainly not space aliens. And yet those are get written about all the time. I, I thought that your fifth point really was actually the key one. And it's a thing that we talk about on this podcast a lot. Your fifth point is that activists write plenty, right? But they write nonfiction. And I think they write nonfiction because fiction is not serious. Fiction is fiction, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, Elise Bryant is a big science fiction fan. And it's interesting because mm -hmm. there is actually a lot of social change stuff in science fiction. But I mean, going back, going back to the classics, I mean, Heinlein, Asimov, all those folks, Star Trek. Octavia Butler. Right. You know, so but it's not serious. Right. So it's OK. We can we can kind of mess around in the fiction there. And I think that to me, to me, point five was was sort of your key point mm -hmm. there in terms of yeah. why. People yeah. don't take art seriously. And so in some ways, maybe that works in our favor that we can sneak stuff in in art. Yes. Well, I think something you, you were saying before about, about uh, the kind of the hagiography around Martin Luther King, you know, as, as the embodiment um, of the civil rights movement. I think that that's, that's really key in showing, in fact, how important fiction is and how people, I mean, I think as, as soon as it's pointed out, it becomes uh, clear that yes, people's ways of thinking are shaped by fiction. And so that in fact, it is very important. I mean, you know, the, the article goes on to talk more about how this shaping actually occurs and how that is in fact a tool of oppression. And it really is, would be worthwhile for activists to think more about it. And I'm actually thinking about uh, this, today is the day that I publish, I'm thinking about uh, um, publishing an article called Fiction for Organizers, which is actually, you know, actually using it. Not, you know, there's a big debate, of course, about 
art as a tool or art is for itself. And of course, as all of these things, it's really both. And so, uh, there, but there is a lot more that can be done. I mean, mu music has been a part of movement building forever and it's totally key and, and not, a, not up for, for debate. And uh, other arts are, have been, you know, there's visual art and you know, dramatic kind of performance art during, during demonstrations. I mean, there's, these are, uh, you know, art forms that are really integrated in, into, the, into the movement. And so I think that there is a lot of room to expand how we use fiction and in, in, in movies and in you know, other forms and, and also collective fiction. That's another thing that I um, have been working with, uh, get, having people write stories together that, that express people's uh, aspirations and experiences as activists. Just before we go, there's a film that you you did a very uh, good post on, uh, and it's it's uh, it's a film that I have never heard of, Retrato de Teresa. Uh, yes, and I wonder if you could tell us briefly about that film. Sounds great. Yes, well, it's it's a film from Cuba, and of course, just that is enough to indicate why it's not it's not. Uh, well known here. But yes, it's a film about uh, a woman who becomes a union organizer in Cuba. And it shows her family life, how she is, uh, she runs into conflict in with her husband. And what's particularly interesting about it to me is that it shows the complexities of trying to develop an alternative system as they're doing in Cuba and how art can, you know, show those complexities and get you to identify with what the woman is going through and what children are going through and what the husband is going through and how the old kind of lingers in the new, lots of different things, just has a lot of possibilities. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for sharing with us. And I love this article. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it around with some other folks as well. Uh, because it's, it's a good food for thought. Well, thank you. I invite people to to read and subscribe to the to the newsletter, Act, Activist Explorer. It's on Substack. That's it for our show this week. Thanks so much for listening. Before we go, just a quick reminder: Elise will be conducting a Q and A with Karen Nussbaum after the upcoming screening of Nine to Five: The Story of a Movement. That's 7 p.m. on Monday, May 23rd at the AFI Silver. You can get tickets at dclabor.org. Click on Calendar. I'm Chris Garlock. As always, looking forward to seeing you at the movies. It's